was great music, wasn't it? Numbers chapter 18, when you find your place, would you stand? We'll just read about seven verses of the text. Stand if you'd like, Numbers chapter 18. I'll begin reading here in verse number one. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. Thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee. And minister unto thee, but thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And they shall keep thy charge, and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die. And they shall be joined unto thee, and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle. And a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary, and the charge of the altar that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priests' office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given you your priests' office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Brother Jared, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're paying attention at all through the book of Exodus and then Leviticus and now into the book of Numbers, you notice something has changed. It's been up to this point, and the Lord said unto Moses, and the Lord spake unto Moses, and the Lord said unto Moses, and now all of a sudden we see here a shift. We see here in Numbers chapter 18, the Lord's going to say something to Aaron. And of course in chapters 15, 16, and of course we preached 17 last week, what happened? Well, the Lord just decided to establish his final authority in Israel through Aaron, that great high priest of his day. And uh, you know what? <clears throat> just like Aaron, Jesus Christ is our final authority in the body of Christ. Not only that, but he's given us a final authority in written form, and it's in your lap. It's the King James Bible that come out of 1611. You have a perfect Bible in your lap. It doesn't need any updating. It doesn't need any revision. It doesn't need any... Uh, changing, it just needs to be reread. Amen? And those who would tell you that it's got problems and errors, they're the one that have the problems and they have the errors. Amen? Brother Duty said in that song, when you find, uh, when you find, when you read it, that there's something wrong, there's something wrong with you. And so you have a perfect, infallible source of truth. You can't turn on any news source today and say, well, that's the perfect, infallible source of truth. It's just laughable is what it is. Matter of fact, half the stuff I believe they probably just make up, but that's all right. Hey, that's how they make their millions, and they believe they trick everyone into believing what they want to believe. But you have the absolute source of final authority within your lap. If you possess within your grasp today the authorized version King James Bible, amen, that's a blessing. 
And Jesus Christ, who's our head, the head of the church, he is our final authority. And uh, But what I'm telling you this morning is when you get here, kind the plow kind of drops a little bit different. What I'm saying is in Numbers chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, it runs like a narrative. It runs like a good story. Now, it's not just a story. It's history. It actually happened, as in there was a boy named David, and he had a stone, and he really slung it, right? But it runs as a story, and it runs in a narrative, and all of a sudden you get to Numbers chapter 18, and the thing just kind of dogs down a little bit, doesn't it? And you go from a very fine narrative to like, this is going to take me a little bit of time to read. And you're like, all of a sudden I'm reading about the earth-swallowing people, and that's kind of exciting, you know? And people dropping straight into hell, you know, I don't like that, but it's kind of cool to read. And now we're going to read about details of the priest's office. And many times, I don't know how you read your Bible. When I get here, I'm like, okay, here we go. Okay, you know, and it's like it takes a little bit because it's just really out of sync with the narrative that I'm and the narrative flows and it's interesting and all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, great stuff about being a priest. But the interesting thing is I read this and I read this and I read this and I kept reading it and finally the Lord began to show me some things. I said, you know what? There's a lot of details in here. And I got to thinking, you know what? The Lord is interested in the details of my Christian life. He really is. And oftentimes we judge our lives by the big things. You're born. That's a big thing. I don't know how much you ever stop and think about how much problem you caused when you were born. <laughs> I mean, your mom was screaming, the nurses were screaming, the doctor was slapping you around. You just caused trouble when you were born. And Job said that a man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Ain't that the truth? And by the time, and you know, and they're like, oh, look, he, look, he took his first step. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you can walk. And, and up to that point, they're like, yes, walk. And then once you take off, they're like, stop, shut up and sit down. You know, as soon as you speak your first word, they're like, oh, that's so cool. Did you get six hours of video on it? And now they want you to shut up. No wonder you're a mess. By the time you turn 50, you're like, I just want to take a nap because now as I was born, toothless and hairless, now I'm going back that way as we speak, amen? But what I see here is a lot of minute details in this chapter. And I don't want to bog you down in the what we call it the minutia, but there's some really great things in this passage I believe will help you with your Christian life. You see, because what happens as soon as the Lord establishes His authority, His final authority in chapter 17, which He did, right? The rod, Aaron's rod budded, and it bloomed blossoms, and it brought forth buds, and it yielded almonds, right? You remember that? Well, guess what? Now that Aaron's in that position of final authority, the Lord has to come up alongside Aaron and give him some detailed instruction about the life which he's now to live. And I am very thankful that when I was born again, the Lord gave me a Bible with very detailed instructions. You know, the Lord just doesn't save you. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, by the way, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to get saved today. And then when you get saved, the Lord just doesn't say, well, hey, see you when you die. He's given us His Word. He's given us His final authority that we can take And just from the moment we're born again to the moment that we go home to heaven, he's given us all this detailed instruction. And that's what I see. I see see a lot of details. I want you to maybe consider some details this morning as we try to go through this passage. I was thinking about the details in the Christian life. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 7, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. 
for Brother Eric's not too hard. But that's the details of hair, amen? But God's interested in details. The very hairs of your head are numbered. I told, uh, one preacher told me this and I kind of adopted it. He doesn't count mine, he just subtracts what's on my pillow in the morning and then he knows how many I have in my head. Then I was thinking about Psalm chapter 56, verse 8. The Bible said, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Do you realize the Lord knows every tear that you've ever shed? Every tear that's ever dropped out of your eyes. And haven't there been some days where they just ran like rivers and you couldn't get them to stop? Do you realize you have a God of detail that knows exactly how many teardrops have dropped from your cheeks and they're in his book, the Bible says. You say you really believe that? I sure do. I do believe it. And I know this, the Lord will never take one more tear out of your eye than he needs to take. I was thinking about the details of tears, the details of hair, and how about this? The Bible says in Job 37, 7, He sealeth up the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. That's the details of your fingerprint. You realize there's no two fingerprints alike. That's why they can create, that's why a man thinks he's smart. He can go in with a national uh, database and create all these things that have to do with your fingerprint. Why? Because the Lord in his infinite wisdom, he sealed up your hand. He sealed up the hand of every man. And then that passage says that man may know his work. So if you touch that door back here and you committed a crime, we come in after you. Man thinks he's smart, but God did that. I'm just saying this morning, God's a God of details. Have you ever considered the details in the Christian life? One more thing I'll give you here before we take off. The Bible says in Job 38:22, he says, Hast thou entered into the treasure of the snow? Hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? You ever stop and think about the treasures of the snow? I know you can't always believe what scientists say. You know, some are just fantastic and all that. But scientists say there's no two snowflakes alike. They've never found any two snowflakes. And let me tell you what, this month we sure got a bunch of snowflakes, didn't we? <laughs> and just to think and look out there that all this stuff that piles up and melts and all that, there's no two snowflakes alike. You say, why? Because I serve a God of detail. My mind can't comprehend that. I was thinking over in Genesis chapter 1 and it talks about the creation of the universe and in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was out form and void. That's a great account and I love to read Genesis 1. By the way, I've read Genesis 1 more than any other chapter in the Bible. Uh, but anyways, when you get over to verse 16, he's going on and on and on and just wonderful. And all of a sudden it says, and he created the stars also. I'm sorry, and he made the stars also. Six words. <laughs> Six words. I mean, it's just like a blurb, right? And he made the stars also. And I got to thinking about that. You know how many stars there are? Nobody knows. He made the stars also. In that six-word phrase, the amount of details is just uncomprehendable. It's said that they, they, they don't know for sure, but in the Milky Way galaxy alone, scientists have tried over and over for years and years to try to count the number of stars, but they had to come to an estimate. And they estimate that there's 300 billion stars alone in the Milky Way galaxy. You say, okay, that's a bunch of zeros. Yes. Well, then scientists then say, if we're taking the word of scientists, that there are 200 trillion galaxies, which again, of course, is just an estimate. 
You know how many stars that comes out to be? It is <laughs> 200 septillion, which is 2 to the 23rd power. And he made the stars. All, you see what I'm saying? And he made the stars also. My mind is just gone. It's just ears, smoke's rolling out my ears. I'm just trying to get you to understand that when you get to Numbers chapter 18, God's going to give us some advanced revelation of what he wants that priest to do. And you know what we are? We're spiritual priests. We're not physical priests. We don't get the bullock out there and cut off the fat and cut off the liver and slit the throat and, you know, blood on. You see what I mean? Now, if it was a deer, well, praise the Lord, amen. Put her on the grill, amen. But I'm just saying we don't do that. But God is a God of details. He's a God of details. I read this account here where in the operating room a, of a large hospital, a young nurse was completing her first full day of responsibilities. And she says to the doctor, Doc, you've only removed 11 sponges. And the doctor says, well, it's all right. She says, no, it's not. You used 12. And, uh, and the doctor says, well, it's okay. I'll take full responsibility. And the nurse says, you can't do that. And he says, oh, it'll be all right. I'll take full responsibility. And the nurse yelled, you have to think of the patient. And the doctor lifted his foot, revealing the 12th sponge. He looked at her and smiled and says, you'll do. She was concerned about details. And I believe this morning God's concerned about the details in your life. Can I show you just a couple things as God being a God of details? I see some things, just some minute details that will give us much learning in the Christian life today. I want you to see, first of all, in verse 1 here, Numbers chapter 18, verse 1, that you and I in this Christian life, you and I are going to have to bear some things. You and I are going to have to bear some things. All right? First of all, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 1, that Bible says, uh, the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. Now listen, that Levitical priest was required to bear the iniquity. But guess what? Aren't you glad we don't have to bear iniquity? You and I are spiritual priests. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's why you know this whole testament will have to do with anyone trying to give a physical sacrifice is nothing more than just a gory hocus pocus. You and I are spiritual priests the moment we trust Jesus Christ in which we offer up spiritual sacrifice to the Savior. But we do not bear the iniquity like the Old Testament priest did and offered sacrifice. Do you realize that before Calvary that God loved us and He sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins? That's the only pleasing sacrifice. Not only that, but the reason that Christ came is Christ was manifested. He was manifested uh, to this earth to take away our sins, the Bible says. And that, of course, as you know, in Galatians 1.4, Christ gave himself for our sins. Not only that, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.28, he bare our sins at Calvary. That's Jesus Christ. You, mean, you realize when you got saved that he took every sin that you ever committed and he put it on himself? In exchange for your sins, he gave you his righteousness. He bare our sins at Calvary. Not only that, he washed us from our sins in his own blood, the Bible says in Revelation 1.5. That old hymn comes out, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
When I got saved, I was washed from my sins with His precious blood. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you what, you are still in your sins. You need to be blood washed and blood bought by receiving Jesus Christ. He's washed from our sins in His own blood. And not only that, but in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says that Christ purged us from our sins by Himself. That means in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That means it's only by Jesus Christ that our sins are purged. It's not by Mary. It's not by Muhammad. It's not by Joseph Smith. It's not by any other form of religion, church attendance, sacraments, anything you call it. It's by Jesus Christ himself. But in our chapter today, here in the text, there are some things that you and I have to bear, and as you're a Christian, you don't have to bear your own iniquity. But let me show you this. You're going to have to bear some things. First of all, a Christian, he ought to bear his own burdens. Take your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 5. Now, you and I live in the great entitlement uh, uh, day and age, don't we? Everyone is entitled to something. As the old preacher said, you're entitled to die and pay taxes. And usually it's in the opposite order. And even sometimes some administrations make you pay taxes once you do die. <laughs> Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 5, For every man shall bear his own burden. You know, Christian, you're going to have to learn to bear up some things. These are minute details that we often overlook every day. Many times we pray, Lord, I pray for a good day. Right? Dear Lord, give us a good day. What does that mean? Give us a good day. Well, in the eyes of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, sometimes a good day is a flat tire. And he gives you a flat tire so you miss a train wreck. Or he gives you a flat tire because someone's going to come to the office and they got the bug and he really doesn't want you to get sick. You ever think about that? Sometimes you've got to bear your own burdens. Not just sometimes, but the Bible says you're going to have to bear your own burdens. Can I just encourage you this morning? Suck it up, Christian. Quit being such a wimp in the Christian life. You're going to have to bear your own burdens. We don't raise kids like that anymore. We raise kids like, oh, everything's going to be okay, and I'll get you a lollipop. It'll be all right. No, it's not going to be all right, is it? You're going to have some really rotten days. People are going to treat you unfairly. You're going to get fired unjustly. Why? You're going to have to bear your own burdens. Not only that, let's move on. You're going to have to learn to endure hardness. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardness as a good soldier. You say, what is that? Well, hard, hard things, hard times. How about hard financial times? You're going to have to learn to bear it. You're going to quit just because you ain't got enough money to go to McDonald's? You see what I mean? It's not the end of the world. You're going to have to bear your own burdens. You're going to have to learn to endure afflictions. Times of sickness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 7, you're going to have to learn to endure chasing. You ever stop and think sometimes the Lord will wear you out and you want to quit? Uh, minute details. Um, the Lord's wore me out before and I've fought it like a screaming two-year-old. But you and I need to learn to bear our own burdens. Stop expecting everyone else to pick up the grief. Stop expecting everyone else to handle my problems. You have to learn to endure hardness. You have to learn to endure affliction. You have to learn to endure chasing. Why? It only lasts for a moment. 
If you're old school and you got the paddle or the belt, it only lasts for a little bit unless you were an idiot and had to jump around the room, then it lasts for a half hour. You say you might know something about that. Well, anyways, you have to learn to endure hardness, affliction, chastening. And how about this? You're going to have to learn to endure persecution. If you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you're going to suffer persecution. These are the details of the Christian life. So when you ask the Lord, Lord, I pray for a good day today, and I pray that everything goes smooth. You know what I pray for? I pray for a profitable day. Why? Because God will never give me something that's not to my profit. You say, do you know what you're praying? Yeah, I know what I'm praying. I know I get up, that whole thing might fall apart. I might drop the transmission right in the middle of the road. You never know. You have no idea. You might get up and walk away and everything's fine. You come back and your house burnt down. Could happen. Some of y'all are praying it would, but it could happen. A Christian is going to have to learn to bear some things. Another thing I see here from a practical standpoint, a Christian is going to have to learn to bear one another's burdens. Not only bear your own burdens, but bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. These are the details a lot of times the Christian life we really don't think too much about. And here in the passage, Aaron and his sons have to bear some things. There are some things. You know, it's good to put your kids under the yoke when they're young. That just means it's good to give them chores. It's good to make them work. It's good to make them sweat. It's good to have them rake leaves and get a blister. And when they whine about it, just say, I don't care. Just go finish. Why? Because no blister ever killed anybody. Amen? Matter of fact, you keep doing it, you get these things called calluses, don't you? I call the, those are man hands. When the boys and I did a lot of firewood, uh, we would always talk, you know, we'd try to leave our gloves off as long as possible in the winter because we didn't want to lose our man hands because then they get all girly. A little bit of honor in having some man hands, amen. Nothing more irritating to me, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, than shaking some fellow's hand and it's just all <laughs> like a fish. You know, it feels like, you know, uh, you know Vaseline intensive care. Like, oh, I mean, there's something about shaking a man's hand, and there's something to it. And you can feel that grip. Amen? You say, you're too alpha. No, everyone's well. You know. <laughs> but you're going to have to learn to bear one another's burdens. You know, in that passage we're at in Galatians chapter 6, the burdens spoke of here are the faults of others. Have you ever stopped and think about that in Galatians chapter 6? The burdens Paul's talking about is the faults of others. You're like, oh no, what do we say? It's your bed, you lay in it. No, we say? But Paul says, if you're spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And you ain't anybody until you learn to help somebody. You say, what are you saying? There's just some things you and I in the Christian life are going to have to learn, and we're going to have to learn to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Sometimes you got to... Join yourself to somebody else. Acts chapter 8, 29, you've got Philip there in the Ethiopian eunuch. And you know that Ethiopian eunuch? He was uh, Ethiopian. So that means he's a different color than you and I here in northern Michigan. Amen? And you know what uh, Philip was? He was a Jew. And you know what the Holy Spirit said? Go join thyself to his chariot. I wonder if he was too busy telling uh, racist jokes if he had done that. We're doing all right this morning. Sometimes if you're going to bear one another's burdens, you've got to join yourself to someone else's chariot that you wouldn't normally join. You see what I mean? You're going to have to learn to do that. I think of old Paul, and he was in the prison there, and he talks about Onesiphorus was his name. You know what Onesiphorus was? 
The Bible says that Onesiphorus was not ashamed of my chain. You know why we don't bear one another's burdens a lot of times? Because we're ashamed of them. We're ashamed of the place that they're in in life. The things that they may or may not have done. If you're going to bear one another's burdens, you're going to have to get over you and learn to bear one another's burdens and stop being ashamed of their change. Listen, we're all damaged goods here this morning. And if you say you're not, you're a stinking liar. And I tell you what, old Anesiphorus, he refreshed Paul and he was not ashamed of Paul's chain. Let me tell you what, I don't care how clean you think you are, you might be here today clean as a hound's tooth. There's someone that needs a burden to be carried and you just might be that person to do it. But you've got to stop being ashamed because, well, you know, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have lived my life that way. I wouldn't have went where they went. I wouldn't have, okay, fine. Okay, when you're done patting yourself on the back, go get and go help them out. You've got to bear one another's burdens. Sometimes you've got to join yourself to the chariot of some. Sometimes you've got to get over someone else's chain. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1, you know what, Christian? If you've been a Christian for any period of time, Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, that we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. You've been a Christian that long, have you? You think you're strong? Well, then try bearing the infirmities of the weak. Try taking up for them. Well, I got real quiet there. Maybe you're thinking this morning. Well, you're going to have to learn to bear your own burdens. There's no handouts. Amen. No handouts in the Christian life. Christian is to bear one another's burdens. And finally this morning, we need to bear the reproach of Christ. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13, real quick, I'll show you this one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. And all this I see, these minute details, because in Numbers chapter 18, verse 1, the Bible gives Aaron, the Lord gives Aaron some specific revelation on things he's going to have to bear in the position that he is in now. And as a Christian, you have to remember that you are called to bear some things in this life. You're going to have to bear your own burdens. You're going to have to learn through the process of time as you grow in knowledge and you grow in grace that you are here to help bear one another's burdens. And finally, you cannot forget that you're supposed to bear the reproach of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. The Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. You say, where's the camp? You're in the camp. Uh, it was just about three years ago uh, that my wife and I got to talking. Now, let me finish that because that sounds really terrible. Like for the first 23 years we didn't even talk to each other, you know what I mean? But we're like, you know, we're getting older and we really need to, we need to spend more time together. Amen. And not only that, but we need to spend time together besides just going out and filling our face. So we talked about it. We're like, we're going to go camping. I hate camping. <laughs> but you know what I've learned? Not too bad. I used to make fun people when I was on the ice cream out of pulling the campground. And you see all these old people sitting in the chair. I'm like, and sitting around doing nothing. Guess what I found myself doing? <laughs> sitting in the chair, sitting around the fire doing nothing. So it feels pretty good, don't it? But uh, I'm just saying this, the older I got, I just had to learn that, uh, that I just had to spend some time and, and go camping. And we only do it a couple times a year. I, I think, did we do it once last year? Okay, well, we need to do more of it. But at any rate, this is the camp. Amen? You are inside the camp. So when he says, let us go, therefore, outside the camp, 
as soon as you walk outside that door, you can expect the reproach of Jesus Christ. You say, what is that? That is the scorn by this world. That is when people look down on you. That is when people make fun of you. That is when people try to shame you for having the stand for Jesus Christ that you have. It should never be inside the camp, but it should always be outside the camp. And Paul says, let us go therefore outside the camp bearing his reproach. It's going to happen. You and I have to learn not only to bear our own burdens and bear one another's burdens, but we're going to have to bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. In Christianity today, that is where we fail. We live our lives for ourselves. It's our own schedule, our own family. It's our, everything we do, and we have no time to stop and live for Jesus Christ. So when we walk outside that door and someone gets in your grill for how you live or whatever the case is, we fall to pieces. You're going to have to learn to bear some things, and when you walk out that door, expect to bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. Reproach is born outside the camp. And let me tell you this, if you love Jesus Christ today and you're his son and you try to live godly, that reproach will come. I'm going to say it again, it will come. Just give it time. Give it time. A fellow named Joe Scriven, he was a missionary from Ireland to Canada. So he was, a, he was an Irish fellow and he decided to go to Canada. And he's going to work among, the, and he did, he worked among the Iroquois Indians. Well, he was joined by his fiancée, who was also from Ireland, and the night before his wedding, she drowned in an ice accident. Joe buried her with his own hands, and with a broken heart. It took him an entire year, but he finally wrote to his mother a year later, and he wrote these words. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He went outside the camp. You know what he found? Reproach. I didn't write this one down, but... That was in 19, or 1842. So he continued with the work, recovering from depression. About 1860, he fell in love again. And uh, a couple weeks before uh, they were to be married, she fell sick with pneumonia and died. And he kept on with the work. And he kept on, I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And you and I might have to bear some difficult things. I'm not saying here today he's going to kill your wife or your fiancé or anything like that. But what if he does? Will you keep going on for Jesus Christ? Will you bear the reproach? Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? Are you going to let Jesus Christ be the only one that suffers? Many of you know the missionary Amy Carmichael. She wrote this poem, No Scar. She says, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar, no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers. Spend, lean me against the tree to die and rent. By raving beasts that compass me I swoon. Hast thou no wound? Hast thou no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Who can have followed far with no wound or no scar? You follow Jesus Christ today, you're going to have to learn to bear some things. 
You might get wounded. You might have some scars. But you ought to learn to bear your own burdens, bear the burdens of others, eventually bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. Can I move on with the text this morning? In the Christian life, you're going to have to learn to bear some things. And number two, how about join up with some things? Look at verse 2, Numbers chapter 18, verse 2. Just some minute details. The Lord's kind of shooting out for me through the text here. Numbers chapter 18, verse 2. The Bible says, And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy fathers, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee, and minister unto thee that thou and thy sons with thee shall Minister, I just see some things here through the next three or four verses that there are some things you need to join up with. Just some things you need to join up with. Simply enough, in verse 2, it says right in the text, first of all, let me encourage you to join up with the brethren. Join up with the brethren. I'm talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. In the text here in verse 2, he says, uh, the tribe of thy fathers, bring thou, I'm sorry, and thy brethren also of the tribe, bring thou with you. See that? You ought to, you ought to join up with your brethren. You know, a lot of people are just, uh, they're loners in the Christian life. They really are. Some people find it a badge of honor. They, they don't talk to anybody. They don't fellowship with anybody. And let me tell you what, that is not healthy in the Christian life. It do, you don't have to be tough unless the situation calls for you. I remember as a young man in my 20s, I, I, everywhere I went, I thought I was flexing somewhere. Like, a, like some, I was going to, what? You just watch too much TV, you know what I mean? Like everywhere you go, you're sizing people up. Like, uh, okay, I can't see them in the knees, you know. Everywhere I went, I'm like, how are you doing? You, know? you don't have to be tough unless the situation calls to be tough. And even then, half the time it's tough is just like a misunderstanding. You don't have to be tough. And if you're going to live by yourself in this Christian life, don't do it unless God tells you to. I'm just saying this morning, you need to learn to join up with the brethren. I'm talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically in the church house. Number one, let me say this, you need to join up with the brethren. Here's a tough one, because of your brethren. Because they're family. Now, this is, we don't teach this in America no more. We teach you do everything for you and nobody else. We, te- we, 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 we teach this principle. What's in it for me? But you know what? You ought to join up with your brethren because they're your family. The family of God. Look, I know the family of God has some real retards in it. Don't worry about it. I understand that. But not everyone, Amen. You doing all right? You said worse this week. It's okay. Amen. But you ought to join up with them because they're your family. How about this one, number two? You need to join up with them because you need them. Look at Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And here's where I'm going to lose some of y'all. Why? These are important details. These are important details in the Christian life. You better get a hold of. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 and 10. You need to join up with some things like your brethren. The Bible says two are better than one. You see that? Two are better than you. You're not better than two. Two are better than one. Amen. Two are better than one because they have what? A good reward for their labor. I mean, 
how many of y'all ever baled hay? Okay, and it's nice to have someone else there to catch the bale. You imagine throwing it from the ground, and you got to jump on the trailer, and then move it up to the front, and then jump back down, and throw it back on the trailer, and then jump back on the trailer. You see, you need more than one. And in this Christian life, there's a lot of work to do, isn't there? Not only physically, but spiritually. You need your brethren. All right. He says, two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. You know why you need your brethren? Because you're going to fall one day, and you need to have him there next to your side to help you up. You see, when you fall by yourself, man, that's a mess, ain't it? Listen, this is where Christians fail. They get all alone. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat worms. And then they get feeling sorry for themselves. And then they fall, and there's no one there. And you fall all by yourself, and spiritually you rot. I'm just saying you need to learn to join up with some folks like the brethren. All right, <clears throat> two are better than one. Then 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says we are laborers together. Amen. Many hands make light work. Don't you enjoy doing firewood? Those of you who had to do firewood in northern Michigan when you had help? Amen. Ain't no fun when you got to do it by yourself. First, don't hear you say the words you're saying when you're by yourself. Amen. And it can be a blessing too. But because you need them. You need them. Not only that, but look at Numbers chapter 18, verse 2. I want you to notice right in your text here today, the reason you need the brethren is because that Bible says in verse 2 that they can minister unto you. I know this is a hard thing to swallow sometimes, but we need ministering to. I know the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that the truth? Isn't it nice to be able to give somebody something? It's, it's, it's gratifying. I don't care who you are. I do like to give, but I love to give. Amen? But that Bible says in verse 2, you need your brethren because God designed your brethren to be able to minister unto you. You see it right in the text? Amen. You need them because they can minister unto you. And not only that, if you look there in verse 6, the reason you need the brethren, look at it. Numbers 18, 6, because they are a gift. You see that? God told Aaron that his brethren were a gift. And the interesting thing, part about that gift, as I see in the passage, a gift serves. For God so loved the world that he gave. A gift serves. He is the free gift. And he served. And he gave. Well, you're going to need to learn to join up with your brethren. I was thinking about that gift. I remember as a kid, even now, I get pretty excited when someone's going to give me a gift. Amen. Hey, I don't care if it's re-gifted or not. Amen. I don't care. If it's a gift. It's got my name on it. It's pretty good. It's pretty exciting. Amen. I mean, let alone having to buy all the gifts, but then you get one with your name on it. Whether it came with your money or not is pretty cool, ain't it? I think about that gift, you know, and I remember when I was younger and I was uh, uh, getting gifts or something, or birthday or whatever. You know, you're excited about it, aren't you? You ought to be excited to be around the brethren. If they're a gift, you ought to be excited to see them. And you see someone during the middle of the week, Hey, brother, how you doing? Like, oh, there's that nut. Amen. Get excited. I got, a, I got a friend of mine back in West Branch there. We preach on the street together. And every time we see each other, man, we scream at the top of our lungs almost. Why? Just excited to see him. Don't you read over there in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David went down there, said he shouted for the battle. Aren't you in a battle? 
I mean, aren't you going through this world and getting just slapped around half the time? And isn't it just good to see one of your brothers during the middle of the week or sisters? Man, just get excited every once in a while. I'm not saying make up, oh, I'm so excited to see you. I'm just saying get excited. How about this when you get your gift there? You know, don't you appreciate it? You're like, they thought about me. This, this little tie clip, this is so wonderful. Thank you. You appreciate it, don't you? A, a gift, you know, you're usually thankful, usually thankful for it unless it's, uh, you know, another coffee mug that you can't fit in your, uh, your cupboard there. <laughs> How about this? When you get a gift, aren't you a little bit careful with it, especially when they're there? I remember as a kid, uh, uh, you know, you, you get gifts there, and, 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 and then Christmas would be over, and I'd be like, you know, I'd be like acting like I was super careful, like, all my gifts. And you're just like in awe. You're overdoing it. Why? Well, you appreciate it. You're thankful for it, but you know what? You're careful with the gift. If your brother and our gift, we ought to be careful with each other. I was thinking about gifts, even though we live in America and it's all about ourselves. You don't always expect the gifts, do you? Where were you? Where were you when I needed you? You shouldn't expect the gift. And uh, you know what I never did in front of them, <laughs> people? When I got a gift, I never complained about the gift. Right? Thank you so much for that sweater that looks like it come out of the 70s. You just don't complain about the gift. They thought about you. Thank you for whatever it was, and you don't complain about it. You shouldn't complain about each other. You say, what is this? Minute details of the Christian life. And as I kept getting bogged down in chapter 18, the Lord's like, see, there it is. got to learn to bear some things, boy. There it is. got to learn to join up with some things. You can't do it on yourself. You can't do it on your own. You're going to need some help to get it done. When you're young, you're full of vim and vigor and strength. The older you get, you realize you don't have the strength you think you do. This is going to take some help. You're going to live a life and build a life for Jesus Christ. You're going to need every single one that's in here to do it. You say, well, I don't believe that. It shows. Amen. It shows. Well, you're going to have to learn to join up with some things. Join up with the brethren. How about this one? Verse 2. Join up with the church house. Amen. Well, that fell off in the toilet. Verse 2, the Bible talks about the tabernacle of witness right there in front of you. You say, why should I join up with the church house? I'll show you in verse 2. I want you to see that the church house, the tabernacle of witness, is the place where ministry begins. You see it? I want you to see it. The church house is the place that ministry begins. Let me tell you what, everyone who has ever walked through the door of that church and told me that they were serving the Lord but not doing it through the church is no longer here. And you will not stay here, not because I won't let you, but you will not stay here if you will not begin your ministry here. In verse 2, you see the ministering begins at the church house. That's why you need to join up with it. If you want to minister, if you want to serve the Lord, it begins right here. That's the place it begins. You should join up with the church house. You say, well, you know, I, I just kind of do my own thing. Again, it shows. I'm not being a jerk. I'm being sincere with you this morning. 
but you join up with the church house because the church house is where ministry begins. And number two, let me just say this, the work is great. We have a great big facility here and needs help. You say, are you begging for help? No, I'm just preaching. Because whether it's done by many or a few, the Lord will get it done. But this is the place where ministry begins. And let me tell you what, I'm calling you all home. If you haven't taken the time to join up with this church, why not do it? Why not talk to me and say, you know what, preacher? I want to be a part of this work. I already come here. I want to join. Talk to me. Amen? Don't be ashamed. We're not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not scared of you. I'm not ashamed of you. I love you. Why not go ahead and join up? Join up with the brethren. Join up with the church house. Why? It's where ministry begins and the work is great. How about this one? There are some things that you need. There are just some things that you need. Let me say this. There are about four things you need in this life. First of all, you need salvation. You need assurance of salvation. You need wisdom. And you need comfort. Four things. I've got scripture with each, but I won't have you turn them. But one of the ways you get comfort is through the Holy Spirit of God. And the other way you get comfort is through this church house, which he paid for with his own blood. You need this church. Here's the thing. You need this church, but never think that this church needs you. You need the church house. You need one another. And you and I have to learn to join up with some things. Here's the thing. You don't join up with the world. Amen. You join up with your brethren. You join up with the church house, but you don't join up with this world. You say, why not? Well, twice in this chapter, look at verse 4. We're almost done. Verse 4 and verse 7. You notice, you notice the word stranger shows up in, in verse 4, and then it shows up again in verse 7. And when you join up with a student, you let a stranger in, all right, spiritually speaking, when verse 7 hits, what does it bring about? You see a death, don't you? Listen, when you start joining up with these worldly activities and these worldly things, you say, oh, I'm afraid of you. Not really, you're afraid of me for preaching the Bible. Listen, you need to learn to join up with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to learn to join up with the church house. This is the vehicle that God uses, but you don't go joining up with these worldly things. Why? Because it will bring about a spiritual death. I've seen over the past almost nine years now, people who were more interested in things of this world that came in here and were saying, Jesus first, Jesus first. Everything they did was Jesus first. I mean, they propose in church and so forth. They go to the bathroom in church. They do everything in church. And all of a sudden, now it's community first. What is that? They just refuse to join up. Look, you can come to this church and not join up. And I hope you do. I hope you get fed, and I hope, hope you get fed so much that it's coming out your ears. Amen? But you need to learn to join up. Because you start joining up with these worldly activities and these worldly uh, groups and these worldly organizations, you know what's going to happen? Verse 4 and verse 7, it's going to bring about a spiritual death, and it's going to hurt you. And I've seen it. I've seen it time after time say, oh, no, oh, no, preacher, is your... No, it wasn't my preaching because that very thing that come out of their mouth is, oh, we love your preaching, we love your preaching, we love your preaching. See ya! Why? Wouldn't join up. Wouldn't join up. I'm saying in the Christian life, you've got to learn to join up with some things. Well, time's going long, and I'm not going to be able to finish this thing. 
Let me say this in the church house. There are a certain number of bones, one fellow said. One fellow said that there's a wishbone, wishing that somebody would do something. Then you have the jawbones, and that's the people that's doing all the talking. And then there are the knuckle bones who are knocking everything that's getting done. And then there are the backbones, the ones who carry the brunt of the load. And I was thinking there's some things you need in this life, and you need this church, and there are many things you don't need. You say, well, what do you think I don't need, preacher? Well, since you asked, you don't need social media. You don't need time-wasting entertainment. You don't need constant eating out, continuous more and more possessions. You say, you're awful legalistic. I didn't say don't do it. I said, you just don't need it. I don't care what you do, honestly. And you go out to eat, it won't hurt my feelings. And if you invite me, even better, amen. Just kidding. <laughs> we got dinner plans. But that's stuff you don't need. But you do need this church. And in the Christian life, there's minute details. One fellow said it like this, life is all about details. Have you considered this morning that maybe the details of your Christian life, just off, just, just a little bit. Would you be willing to consider the details? As Miss Elizabeth comes to play the piano this morning, would you be willing to consider that the details of this Christian life means that you have to consider that you're going to have to bear some things? And you know what? Sometimes when you bear those things, it's not pretty. It's not easy. And this life is not always easy. You know who told you that? I don't know. Hollywood told you that. You know when we all live happily ever after? When we get out of here. Until then, look, we're going to a wedding, amen, but it sure ain't no picnic along the way. While she begins to play, would you consider the details of your Christian life this morning? And if the Lord's spoken to you, why don't you come?